Hi, everyone. This is Javier, your host here at the Restore Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts about the Restore Podcast topics, guests, your favorite episodes, or whatever you may want to let us know. And I am so happy to announce that now you can do that simply by texting us by going to the show notes. There, you will see a link that simply says, send us a text message. Click on it. Don't remove the number there that you will see and simply send us a text. Simple as that. So don't wait. Go to any episode show notes and text us now. Let us know your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you. God bless. Welcome to Restore, a podcast seeking to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. And now your host, Javier Diaz. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Restore Podcast, Episode 13. I am your host, Javier, and I hope this podcast helps to restore the vision, restore the mission, restore the church. I want to thank you for taking the time and listening to the Restore Podcast, and I pray that whatever you may be doing, driving, running, cooking, that you will be perhaps challenged by today's episode and also encouraged and blessed. As I was preparing for today's episode entitled, Is Public Evangelism Dead? I came across an article in Ministry Magazine, an international journal for pastors, uh, published by the Seventh-day Adventist Church, as many of you know. And the article was entitled, Is Public Evangelism Obsolete? I want to read to you just a, a couple of paragraphs from the article. It says, Public evangelism has in the past been a powerful and effective outreach activity responsible for bringing hundreds of thousands to a decision for Christ and into the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Possibly because of its effectiveness, public evangelism seems to have been the primary outreach activity sponsored by Adventists. Today, new winds are blowing within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This visible and welcome shift of emphasis focuses on a perennial program of evangelism in the personal lives of the members and in the corporate life and worship of the church. This movement is called the Church Growth Movement. The article goes on to say this, This new concept emphasizes church growth through, in quotation marks, body life. It compares the church to the human organism and emphasizes the growth of the church through the same types of processes responsible for the growth of the human body. Rather than focusing upon decisions for Christ, it accents making disciples. Now you can click on the full article in the show notes. I want to tell you I found it, it the article, incredible. For one, the article was written over 30 years ago. It was written in 1984. And I found it interesting that over 30 years ago, they were asking, I would say, somewhat of a similar question that some are asking today. Is evangelism, or I should say specifically, is public evangelism obsolete or dead, as I entitled this episode? And so, with that said, in this episode, I speak to Roger Hernandez and and Richie Halverson. Both are clearly very passionate and actively engaged in public evangelism. At the time that I recorded my interview with them, they were both about to begin meetings. We had a great conversation about what is public evangelism? Is it still viable as a means to reach people? We talked about the cost and so many aspects of public 
evangelism. And I believe you're going to find this conversation very intriguing. So without further delay, here goes. I'm so glad to have on the Restore Podcast, Pastor Richie Haverson and Pastor Roger Hernandez. Welcome, guys. Thank you very much for having us. Glad to be here. All right. Well, why don't we start by introducing yourselves. Uh, Roger, tell us a little bit about, most people know who you are, I think, that may listen to us, but there may be some I know that may not. So tell us, uh, Roger, uh, what you do, where you're at, and how long have you been doing it? And then we'll do you, Richie. I am currently the Ministerial and Evangelism Director for the Southern Union Conference, and I work in the Southeast uh, United States, eight conferences in our union. Okay. Richie. I am currently the senior pastor of the College Drive Seventh-day Adventist Church and have been the church planting director for our conference, Gulf States Conference, for the past year. Great. And um, if I'm not mistaken, you also are pastor of uh, church plant there, correct? Yeah. Also, I, I'm pastor of our church plant, The Ridge. We just uh, celebrated our two-year anniversary there in Clinton, Mississippi. So we're excited about that. Fantastic. Well, I, I'm, I thank you guys for taking up your time and being on the show um, on, on this episode. And we've entitled this episode, Is Public Evangelism Dead? And I, um, those that know you guys know that you both of you are very passionate um, in your own ways about specifically um, evangelism as a whole, but I would say also specifically about the public proclamation, so public evangelism. So let's begin uh, by having you guys define what public evangelism is. So let's start with you, Roger. Uh, Public evangelism is joining the conversation that God is already having with people. And it's going public with our faith in an organized, advertised um, event where either in a small group setting or a local church, the church gathers and there's an opportunity for people to walk across the room to make a decision uh, to follow Christ. Okay. Uh, Richie, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, much of what Roger said, I, I think it is a it is where we are publicly declaring, uh, you know, the fundamental truths of the gospel. Um, I once heard Michael Frost at an exponential conference say, uh, the people who love to quote Francis uh, Assisi, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words, that the people who never publicly share the gospel love quoting that verse, but they never ever hear the words. You know, it is important to show the gospel through our actions, but we've got to publicly declare that faith uh, for God with other people as well. Okay. I, I think um, w- w- one way that to illustrate this is when, when I was in middle school, I had a girlfriend that said she, she was my girlfriend, uh, <laughs> but didn't want anybody to know about it. So it was just like a private thing without us. And, and I told her, you know, it's time for us to go public with our love. And she's like, well, I don't, I don't really like you that, that much. Uh, so a lot of us have that same relationship with Christ. We want to have it a private faith. But at some point, you have to go public with your, with your love. And that's double public evangelism. It's just going public and giving people an opportunity to see and, and to share what 
Christ has done for them. Okay. So it's, and this can be done, you guys are already finding it public. Public can mean in a large setting, small setting. The setting really doesn't matter or the amount of people. It's just done as the word says publicly, correct? Correct. As long as there's people yeah. there, yeah, people there that don't uh, currently follow Christ, that's public evangelism. Okay. Yeah, it's intentionally reaching people who, who don't currently have the message. So small group, yes. But not if small group means just me and five other church members getting together. It's intentionally trying to reach people with the gospel. Okay. So I thought, for again, for some that may say, why are they starting with such a basic aspect? For others, maybe they may be inclined to say, I'm glad that we're actually putting a definition behind public evangelism, right? Because in our community, public evangelism oftentimes means one thing. And we'll get to that one thing in a moment. But oftentimes it's that. So I think here we've broadened it just a bit. Um, in that aspect. Uh, so with that said, let's talk a little bit about, before we talk about the positive aspects, I should say, let's talk about some of the challenges. What do you guys feel are some of the challenges that public evangelism is facing in today's 21st century? Everybody's busy. Millennials and Generation Z folks are not really coming and listening as uh, many studies have shown or, you know, uh, Barna stats and we can, I mean, we can list many of them and it, it, but with that said, what do you think you guys are some of the challenges? Whoever wants to go first. You know, I, I think one of the biggest things for me is we're definitely more of a, a post-Christian culture. And so we used to be able to rely on, well, everybody basically believes in the Bible. And so we could, we could just kind of depend on uh, people who like the Bible, believe in the Bible, coming out to the meetings. But now we have to, you know, we have to deal with an, an extra step, and that is to basically share with people the Bible and why they can trust the Bible. So I think for me, that's one of the biggest challenges. You can't just put uh, Bible imagery on a handbill or on a promotional material. That's not going to appeal to everybody who don't see that as uh, what they think. You know. Okay. I think there's there's challenges uh, both from inside the church and outside the church. Okay. From inside the church, our greatest challenge is apathy, where mm -hmm. um, we have people that resist public evangelism, that have never done public evangelism, and or have done it one time, it didn't go well, so they just, they just throw, it, throw out the baby with the bath water. Um, and, and the apathy of the members of saying, well, I've heard it already. Why mm -hmm. do I have to do this again? This, this disturbs the natural flow of my church. Uh, so that's, that's a challenge from inside the church. Okay. Uh, more of an apathy. Uh, and, and the challenge outside the church is in a culture that is increasingly secular, mm -hmm. uh, having people stop their lives, especially in big cities, uh, for right. an extended period of time to attend uh, an event that is happening somewhere other than their church and their normal flow of things is increasingly harder to do. And also I think what Richie mentioned is a, is a, a greatly important step because our public evangelism has assumed, mm -hmm. our model has assumed that people trust the Bible. So we just got to show them in the Bible the things they have to believe. But for a person who does not trust the Bible, who does not believe the Bible is true, who has who is biblically illiterate, trying to prove stuff from the Bible, it's like trying to prove something from Shakespeare. Hmm. For them, it's just another book. Yeah. 
Do, do you, along with those challenges, do you guys think the fact that in today's world, um, we can just Google everything, right? Um, if, you, if we want to watch a quote-unquote public evangelistic meeting, many can just go to YouTube and they could listen to whatever their hearts desire. Uh, do you guys feel like, even though that technology has obviously been so beneficial to so many, at the same time, has it, do you feel it's been a challenge in hindering people to come consecutively to a meeting? I think with the stigma, especially internally about evangelism, which is I've already heard this, or the idea that, oh, it's the evangelist's job to do evangelism, I think in that context, it is tough, but I will say we are seeing it, and studies are seeing it, that people in our culture, our social media uh, culture, are hungry for relationship. They're hungry for that, and so uh, that's the key, is we build up those relationships in the community and with people, and we help them see that what they're hungry for is to have that relationship. Uh, before, when we just allowed somebody do it for us, or the church really, you know, we'd have a guy come in once a year, they would do it all for us. It has created this at atmosphere where, or this environment, where it's somebody else's job to witness for me. And so I think that's, uh, in addition to the digital culture that we live in, that's made it hard to do evangelism. Okay. So, so, so just... Just to kind of piggyback off that before you go, Roger, what, what you're saying, Richard, what I hear you saying is that is actually people not witnessing, not inviting their friends, not fitting a necessity to build those relationships in which within those relationships, they would come together to a public evangelistic meeting. Yeah. yeah. And they would come and experience something that you can't get watching on YouTube or watching on Twitter or following on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, for example, if you think about the NFL, mm -hmm. you can watch every game in your house, mm -hmm. but stadiums mm -hmm. still get packed up mm -hmm. because it's the experience of the game. So I think that it's not necessarily that people don't want to attend. It's that sometimes the experience that they get when they get there is something that is not helpful to them. Okay. And when they don't see any church members attending, they're like, <laughs> if this is not important to them, why should it be important to me? Right, right, right. Okay. So let's, let's get into from some of the challenges to some of the particulars. What are some of the ways that public evangelism is currently being done? And is one, more, is, is one way more effective than another? So... I know between you, Roger, and, you know, you, Richie, you guys, you both are very passionate about public evangelism, um, but you guys do it a little bit differently. Roger is known to do it more for once a week. And uh, uh, Richie, those who know you and many know you and many know that you come from a line of uh, public evangelists, right, and have mainly done a more traditional type set of, you know, meetings, meaning three weeks, four weeks, uh, several times um, a day. I mean, several times a week for three or four weeks. So tell us a little bit about your experiences, your thoughts, as you guys have been doing them here recently. I know both of you have um, about doing them. And I'm just going to, again, pose the, the actual question before you answer, as long as you do it, just do it, whether it's one week or three weeks, yep. um, which that's great. And it's true. 
But still, those uh, that may be listening want to know, well, that's fine. We want to do it. But tell us which one has better results or which one do you think has better results? Again, I know evangelism works when you work it, but let's talk about how it's working. And so um, let's start with you, Richie. Give us a little bit about your experiences and, and your style, your method of doing public evangelism. You know, there's a lot of things to consider when you're doing evangelism. You know, you're always thinking of what the external publics are thinking, who I'm trying to reach, and the internal publics. And sadly, the internal has often dictated how we reach the people out there in the community. So there's a lot of things that kind of enter your mind. You're balancing a lot of things when you do evangelism uh, that if that was taken out of the equation, I think it would help us a whole lot more. Um, I've had Roger hold a series of meetings at my church, and so I believe in many methods to reach evangelism. The reason I personally choose my method is I have found that there's still a lot of people out there that, that you know, prophecy appeals to them. It's something that they're not getting at their other church. You know, they're getting the great music. They're getting the, you know, great preaching, uh, and in most cases, better preaching than what we're giving them. Uh, but they're not getting that. What I hear from people coming out to my meetings more than anything is, man, I've never heard this much Bible in all the series I've ever been to, and I love it. And so that is primarily reaching those who, um, who believe in the Bible, but we're also reaching people who are open and, and, and who we've built relationships with who don't necessarily believe in Christianity. So for me, doing more of a... Uh, but I want to say this with this, uh, every one of my prophecy seminars and every one of my messages, they meet needs where people are right there in their place. I don't care if I'm preaching to Daniel 2 or I'm preaching Revelation 13. I'm also giving messages that are, are okay, how do I deal with this divorce that I'm facing? How do I deal with the fact that I just lost my job? How do I deal with this? So I think there was a time where the prophetic message we didn't help meet needs in addition to answer some biblical and prophetic questions. And I think there you can find a nice healthy balance. And so I, I, that's why I do it. I have to fight in my own armor and this is what I am comfortable with and what I have developed over my life and I've seen it bear very good fruit. But I also have used Roger and he's come here and I've learned a lot from him and um, you know, and, and, and so I, I believe there are many ways to evangelize by using our various gifts. Public evangelism in, in, in what I guess we would say was somewhat of a traditional format is something that I, I grew up in. I love it. I've seen it work, and I know how to make it work. And so, and of course, it's always God working through us, but it's just something that I am comfortable with. Um, we've done some of the other things, and we love it too. We have to always change it up. Yeah. Uh, but we want it to become a lifestyle of the church. We don't want it just to be one event. And that's why throughout the year I have reaping public events that not just I do, but other members do and, and so on. Okay. Roger, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that one of the most important things, that uh, Richie said it, is to be able to fight in your own armor. When I was starting as a pastor... I tried to do a prophetic series and I didn't feel comfortable uh, with all the dates and all the, it wasn't my armor. So when I was a local church pastor, 
I would bring in once a year somebody that was good in prophecy because my church needed to be nurtured in all areas. Mm -hmm. That's not my strong area. My strong area is family. And I can preach about that all day long. But I needed to to feed my church a diet that is Mm well-balanced. So I do a one-week series because that's what I have found in 26 years of pastoring that has worked for me. I am for evangelism that works. Is it five weeks? Is it eight weeks? Is it a year long? Is it every Sabbath morning? Is it a week long? I'm for stuff that works. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a week-long series and you're not baptizing anybody, or you're doing a month-long series, you're not baptizing anybody, you have to question, okay, what method am I using and why is it not working? Mm -hmm. And try to revise it. I'm not in love with a specific method. I'm, I'm in love with the fact that people come to Jesus. The method I use, when, when, I, when I see uh, pictures that uh, Richie uh, posts of the baptisms that they have, I'm excited for him. It's not my method, but people are coming to Jesus. Amen. When I see Ralph Ringer, who's is about 103 years old, doing, <laughs> doing the meetings, and he's baptized in a church of 25, he baptized 10 people. Yes. I'm excited for him. That's not me, but I'm excited for him. So... We don't have to tear down one model to build up another model. We can do like every fish likes to eat a different type of bait. Mm-hmm. We just got to fish with all the fish in the sea. Some like some type of bait, some like another type of bait. So that's, I prefer the one I do because it works for me. Right. So you, you kind of answered the uh, a, a follow-up question I was going to ask, which is, is, is everyone really able to do public evangelism? And what I'm hearing you guys say within the conversation here is that is that yes and no, meaning that there many may be able to do public evangelism, but it may be a little different. And so we should encourage each other to use our gifts, as I think you guys are saying, right? Richie, you're more, you're more gifted at perhaps what we call within our community of faith, the a bit more traditional way of doing it. But as you said, You've incorporated a lot of the personal needs of people within. So that, that's another conversation that we may follow up on here, or I should say we will follow up on, is that you have uh, modernized, if I can say that. I mean, I don't know if that's the right word to say. Contextualized. You have contextualized and modernized some of our traditional um, prophetic utterances that they could be more captivating for our 21st century world. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I've, I've been to meetings where – um, they're more traditional. And the slides that people are using, for example, some of the speakers are slides of like 25 years ago. Yeah. And somehow yeah. in our visual world that we live in today, um, people will look at that and, 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 and for some, it may not mean anything, but for, I would say for a lot of the younger folks, they, they may look and say, wow, that, that slide I remember from 25 years ago. <laughs> and they have been updated, not just their, their um, visual content, but the actual content itself, meaning not just what's up on the screen, but what is actually stated. And so they just repeating the same thing they've done. So I'm hearing you say that you've actually updated everything. And I think that goes a long way um, within whatever we do. It's contextualizing it and making it applicable and practical uh, for today's modern world. So, but what are your thoughts on that? With that said, 
even though you kind of answered it, but let's go a little bit deeper on that. Is is everybody really able to do public evangelism? And one more example of that, and um, somebody once said, and I, I think it's a great ministry, you know, Share Him. Again, Share Him is a, is a ministry where uh, they just encourage lay people and people of all backgrounds to go and do evangelism in different parts of the world, including here in the States. And um, I, I, I one time heard somebody tell me, you know, that's a very good thing. And it's great to see so many people do evangelism. But somebody told me, and, and it wasn't just a, a, a um, it was a person in a church that was coming to these you know meetings. And they said, we've heard a lot. But sometimes the people that do the meetings, God bless them. I know they're transformed. It's not their gift. And as much as sometimes we want to give somebody a laptop and the presentations, the cookie cutter presentations, it may not be their gift. And it and so I know it's a delicate subject, but what are your thoughts on mm-hmm. it? Well, the Bible says that everybody should do evangelism, but the Bible yes. also says some have the gift of evangelism. And it's different to do evangelism than it is to have the gift of evangelism. Mm. I believe that every time we open our churches, we should do evangelism. Like we should expect that unbelievers are in the audience and we should have an opportunity for them to respond to whatever message we're, we're having. I don't know how many times I've gone to churches to do evangelism. It happens all the time where there's people that have been attending and they've never been asked to cross the line. Mm-hmm. They've been, they've been in that church for years and they've never been asked, Hey, do you want to get baptized? Do you want to join the church? Do you want to take your relationship to the next level? So I don't think that everybody has the gift of evangelism, but I think everybody should, should do evangelism. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Richie? Yeah, just to echo that, I think that everybody we know is uniquely gifted, but we also know evangelism is a specific call. And I, I've been to meetings that when we kind of sold this cookie-cutter approach, and, and, it was, and it was just bad. And it was a misrepresentation, and it represents kind of the message in the church. And, and, and given, yeah, bless their heart, but people left that not wanting to come again to an event. So I think we have to be careful. Everybody should do evangelism, but that doesn't mean everybody is called to be an evangelist. Okay. Yeah. Let, let me follow up on uh, some of these best uh, practices and um Specifically what you were saying, Richie. So and then I want to ask Roger a little bit about how he does it. So and I've, I've heard both of you guys. And so that's why I can ask some of these questions. And I'm sure some that are listening or listen to the podcast have as well. So, Richie, tell us a little bit about how you have contextualized um, some of the of our traditional prophetic messages, Daniel, Revelation. Um, what, what are some of the best practices that you can share with those that may be listening um, and how have you made it like your, your three weeks, uh, how many days do you go? Uh, what topics do you cover? Uh, what is it, what does it look like for you and how do you make it applicable and practical for those listening? Well, you know, I still will deal with, you know, Daniel too, and we'll look at some of that, but we look at not just, okay, this has happened. What is Daniel two really telling us? It's that no matter who, uh, where you're at, all those metals are inferior. 
except for the stone that comes that was cut out with no human hand. And so we apply that to if you build your life on anything other than Christ, you know, you've got, you know, you've got broken feet, you know, you've got a broken foundation and we apply that, you know, Christ is the center of everything. You know, 14 and, 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 and this idea of, and the woman of Revelation, the church and the dragon wanting to destroy the woman and her child, you know, uh, dealing with hardships on a daily basis, you know, having a bad week, losing jobs, you know, uh, you know, some of these different elements, you know, that's because the enemy wants to destroy and he's attacking us on a daily basis. So I, I think, you know, for me it's been a thing where I teach um, what we believe uh, in the fulfillment of prophecy, but we deal with it, also contextualize it to meet a need where they are in their life. Re you know, uh, the seven churches is, is no matter what church you're in, Jesus is the, you know, he's the one that admits the lampstands. He's the one in the middle of the church, you know. Um, you know, so those type of elements I bring out into every sermon that basically saying we have hope, why can we trust the Bible because what the Bible said would take place has taken place, you know, uh, and and those are the type of a few of the things that I've done with every sermon, bringing in some of the you know these are things that we believe were fulfilled at this time, uh, but then also applying that to day to day living. I recently just to put a little plug in there, I recently on my blog uh, wrote a sermon on preaching, mm -hmm. and and I talk about you know the best sermons take time. Uh, they are relevant and they are evangelistic and the relevant aspect I deal with every sermon we ever preach should speak to the hopes the fears the dreams the idols of our lives and so uh, I need to and I make sure that that comes out in every sermon I do evangelistically okay and we'll put your blog in the show notes uh, you give me the link and we'll put it so people can read that as well uh, Roger, what are what are your thoughts? Again, I've, I've, yours are more um, specific topics of um, family. I know you you do include some doctrinal aspects in there about the Sabbath and um, other other doctrine, second coming, and so. Uh, but how do you do that? And what are your some of your best tips and practices? Well, the first thing to understand is that the eight nights that we do is not a uh, one stop for everything because it has to be preceded by Bible studies in people's homes. Uh, because if you try to teach uh, Adventist beliefs in one week, um, you're going to fall short of a lot of things that people can understand. So we're, we're starting from the premise that people have been studied with in their homes before they get to the meeting. So I'm just like a delivery doctor coming to deliver the baby for the last nine months They've been in gestation. People have been feeding them. People have been teaching them the Bible doctrines. And so my eight nights is just a decision-making opportunity for them to just cross that last. Uh, if you see the faith continuum from one to ten, um, during the last months, if you start them at three, they're going to four, and then they're five. So they're eights or nines when they get to the, to the series. And then I'm, I just push them over, over the edge. Okay. So the eight nights, uh, I just picked eight of the most common, basic human problems, and then eight of our most uh, basic favorite doctrines, and I try to be the bridge between those two. 
So this is your life and your issues. And this is the Bible and its teachings. And let me show you how this connects. And so we have topics like state of the dead, but we do it through, through healing. And we have topics of, on balance, which we introduce the Sabbath to people. And we have topics of the second coming, about the fact that hope wins. Um, we have topics about the family and making decisions to join God's family, baptism, um, finances is, a, is, is an important one, uh, grace and justification by faith. So that, that's, that's sort of like the, the idea behind it. Here's okay. eight problems. Here's eight, eight of our beliefs. This is how it connects. Okay. So again, it seems, again, both of you are very similar in your foundational principle, right? So it's what are the needs in your communities that you feel most, really in any community, these are needs, right? Fear, anxiety, hope. Um, and then how do you get these different themes, these different topics, and make them applicable to some, if not all, of, of those? And second, what I'm hearing you guys say is that regardless of which method, let's go with the one week or the three weeks, four weeks, whatever it may be, is that it's neither of them really, uh, what I'm hearing you guys say, once again, is a, as you said, Roger, a one-stop shop of this is it. There is things that happened before or should happen before, and it things obviously that should happen post the meetings and ongoing, you know, continuity, because a lot, particularly within our community of faith, right? Um, and, um, and even, of course, the, the back in the day, as we say, the big Billy Graham meetings, right? Even then, if you look historically, some of the questions that were always asked, and even to this day, is, well, who followed up with all these people that came forward back in those days, mm -hmm. right? Um, how were they discipled? And so um, I'm hearing at least both of those aspects, that, that one week, three weeks, four weeks, all of it is good. See your context. Secondly, is that this is neither of them was ever meant to be uh, something that is just done with nothing else in between them. Is that is that fair to say, guys? Yeah, Absolutely. I, think so. I think that evangelism, uh, when seen as an event, uh, it's going to create resistance because this is just an event that is that is going to disturb what the church regularly does. So we have our pathfinders. Well, we have to stop pathfinders because we're going to have evangelism. And we have a youth program where we're going to have to stop our youth program and our small groups because we have evangelism. So evangelism is seen like a like an intrusion. It, 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 it just is an intrusion into the normal of the of the church. But if you see evangelism as a process where people are continuously sharing faith with their friends, this is just the culmination of the sowing and the reaping principle. So it, it's just a celebration of the harvest. That's, that's why I think some of the wording that we use around evangelism needs to be changed. Like like, like we use crusade. <laughs> now that's, that's, that's like, a, like an aggressive, like, let's kill the, 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 the Muslims. Infidels. Yeah. Mercy. Mercy. Crusades and efforts. Just it, sound, it sounds like, like you're, you're passing a, a, a stone or something. It's mm. like a... It's an effort. It's a crusade. <laughs> well, I I like to call it's a celebration. It's a celebration. It's, it's yeah, a celebration of changed lives. It's a celebration. It's a harvest festival because God throws a party in heaven. 
Hmm. Why should yeah. why should evangelism be a drag? Like, well, glad that's over. We'll we'll, we'll do it again in five years. Uh, <laughs> everything in the church should be evangelistic, leading up to in a moment where people can can be welcome into the world. Your thoughts, Richard? Yeah, I I, I think that. One of the problems with our evangelism is not an evangelism problem, it's a discipleship problem. Hmm. And we have bought into this idea that we want, you know, I'll have members come to me even in three weeks, and they think that's, you know, too soon to, for people to make a decision. They're afraid you didn't cover everything, you know. Hmm. And, and when they say everything, they mean everything. Yeah. And and by that thinking, and yes, we know the Bible teaches, you know, there was teaching before baptism and after baptism. But it's the idea that once we once we dunk them, we're done with them. Right. And that's not what the church is called to be. We're called to love them before the baptism, after the baptism, and disciple them on, you know, and so that's one of the reasons why we're confused too, is we just expect that to all happen right then, and that, that, that doesn't happen like that. It, it, it happens the way the Holy Spirit wants it to happen, you know. And, and that's in a very important point you guys are talking about, is that perhaps, can, can, can it be said that, um, though it hasn't been stated this way, but perhaps people have confused discipleship with public evangelism. And, and that's why we had you guys define public evangelism. And if you notice in your definitions, in your definitions, discipleship was not in those definitions. Uh, discipleship would be another definition, but it clearly, as I'm hearing you guys say, needs to be included in the in the entire plan because that's what Jesus obviously has called us to say. So do, do you guys feel that that has happened um, again, maybe not, you know, consciously or subconsciously that, that people, some people, whoever those people may be, um, have, have confused. Like you said, they think, well, uh, Pastor Richard, you, you, you covered it. You covered 19 out of, and wait, but for those who may be listening who, who don't know, within our community of faith, when people say you haven't covered anything, they're talking about all of our particular quote unquote doctrines, right? And, um, and, and then some in some cases. And so, Pastor Richie, you've covered 26 of the, whatever, 28. And so if you just cover the next two, then they can get dunked or baptized, right? But even then, even if you covered is what I'm hearing you guys say, if you guys covered all 28, that still doesn't mean that discipleship has finished. Is that is that fair to say? No, I think Absolutely. discipleship and evangelism is like the two wings of a, uh, of a bird, if you have one without the other, mm -hmm. you're going to have mm -hmm. a bird that's on the ground. Mm -hmm. If you have discipleship with no evangelism, um, people are just going to grow fat and inward. Mm -hmm. If you have evangelism mm -hmm. with no discipleship, um, you're going to have you're going to bring them in, but they're going to go right back out because there's no nothing to ground them in the faith. You have to have both of them. Mm -hmm. And I think that pastors make a false dichotomy between them. No, I'm I'm a discipleship guy. I was like, no, I'm an evangelism guy. No, you have to have both. You have to disciple them once you baptize them. And you have to, in order to disciple people, you have to baptize them. Hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a constant stream of people that are coming in and, and being discipled. In turn, part of discipleship is evangelism. You can't be a disciple without being an evangelist. Hmm. How can you say, call yourself? Yeah, I, I tell the story. 
uh, all the time. And I'm going to take one minute to tell the story. I had a pastor that came to me and said, my church over the last three years hasn't baptized anybody. Um, we, we try different things, but we don't baptize anybody. And he, he, he describes his church this way. He said, my church is a good, they're good, conservative Adventist Christians. They're just not evangelistic. <laughs> so it, it, it's possible to be considered a good Adventist and not evangelistic. How is that possible? Hmm. I mean, if you look at the Bible and if you look at Ellen White, which conservative Adventists like to look at, Ellen White says that the first impulse of a converted heart is to share Christ with others. Hmm. So if you ask yourself, am I really a good Adventist if I'm not sharing my faith? So we, we, can, we make this false dichotomy. You can be a good Adventist without sharing your faith. It's impossible. It's Im- it would be madness if, you, if Jesus was present here and you, would, and you would tell the church in the first century, you're a follower of Jesus, but you don't share Christ intentionally. <laughs> it, it, it would be madness to them. They could not understand. It would not father. They can't fathom. It, it's impossible for them to understand mm-hmm. how this would happen. So you need both. Without it, you have a dead bird. Mm. Richard, your thoughts, or do you, or, or did Roger pretty much cover it up? But your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, he 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 covered it. You can't have one without the the other. And good discipleship feeds evangelism, and good evangelism feeds discipleship. And it's just a lifestyle. It's not just that event. Um, and 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 the bottom line is going back to having a hunger. For, for, for changed lives. And, you know, if I'm in the ministry and I don't hunger for people, I have to ask myself, why did I even go into this? And I should probably find another job. We've got that hunger for souls, have that hunger for people. Um, and, and that will bear fruit, you know? So I, I um, before I let you guys go, I want to piggyback uh, to, to uh, millennials, Generation Z, you know, these two large... Um, People groups, however people want to, you know, label them. Um, often we hear again that this particular public evangelism is not reaching them, or at least I don't know about you guys, but I've I've heard that a lot in different circles. Uh, you know, in, in my role, I speak to a lot of pastors and and just people in general, and they say, well, you know, they're they're not coming and. They barely come to church. Statistically, we know that. They, they're barely coming to, quote, unquote, church, the worship gathering. Um, so why would they come eight nights for you, Roger? Why would they come three times a week or whatever it may be for three weeks um, with you, Richie? Um, how would you reply when people would say something like that regarding that particular, those two particular generations? I, I, think, it's, I think it's tough. Uh, I, and there's no doubt if you send out a traditional mailer, um, you know, 80% of your group is going to be probably 50 plus. Um, I've, I've had millennials coming out to every single meeting I've ever done. So I am reaching them. I did a series, a week-long series, and I baptized five millennials mm-hmm. and um, planted a church with them. Uh, and it was through what people would maybe say with traditional means. I think what Generation Z and Millennials are wanting is they're wanting that authentic experience. They want to know that, that they can trust us. They want to know that we're sincere. 
And so I think we do need to make sure that those issues are addressed, that it's not kind of a, an approach where it's like our motive this whole time was just to add members to our, to our books. I think we need to be sincere. Um, I think we also have to remove the obstacles that can come between people, secular people, and the church. We need to stop making things that are not fundamental, fundamental. We need to create a safe environment. One of the most exciting movements I see happening right now is through Alpha. I don't know if you've seen any of what the Alpha is doing in, in New England. It's been going for several years, but now they've started groups here in the United States, Alpha, USA. And basically, it's a safe place where people can come, ask their questions about faith, uh, and, and you have speakers come in. But it doesn't matter what you say or what your question is. You're not going to be condemned for that. And it, it creates a safe environment where people can bring their doubts, they can bring these things to the table, and they can be answered sincerely, not with pat answers, but with honest answers that are basically, you know, hey, it's kind of confusing to me, but this is the way I'm dealing with it. And I think what Alpha is doing uh, is, is, is actually going to be the way we need to do some of our evangelism in the future. And that is creating public events where people can come and ask questions and from various walks of life walk in the door and they're safe there. And we love them through their doubts. You know, we allow them to come to church even though they're still struggling with this or struggling with that. And until we do that, we're not going to do it. I mean, the early church, that's how Paul did it. You know, they planted churches in a pre-Christian era. And he had people who, who of, of sexual identity issues and all that was there then. So we can do it now, but we've got to be willing to create safe environments for it to happen. What are your uh, thoughts, Robert? Yeah, I, I think that um, the way that, I, and I see millennials being baptized in my meetings all the time. First of all, we engage them uh, by giving them opportunities to serve. But let me ask you this question, and, for, and forgive me for interrupting, because I know somebody's going to, in the back of their minds, are probably asking this. Because we hear this a lot, or I hear this oftentimes. Well, I have millennials coming, I have millennials coming and everything, but who are these millennials that are coming? Are they millennials that are coming because other millennials are inviting them to the meetings? Are they coming because they saw the flyer and um, they saw a Facebook ad advertising? Um, is it all of the above? Who are you guys seeing more? Because I, I get asked these questions or similar ones. And sometimes, you know, when we hear evangelists say this, let's say, we don't ask these questions because we don't want to seem like we're being rude, right? So this is what this, in part, what the podcast is for. And um, so let's put it out there. I mean, are you bringing millennials right out of the, out of the street from the neighborhoods, from the communities? Because often most are saying, I'm not seeing that. What I am what I am seeing actually is going back to what I think you said, Richie, is that when um, and actually you mentioned it too, um, you know, Roger, is that when we have people from the church, let's be particular millennials inviting their friends, that's how you're getting millennials to come. Um, we we are not seeing a lot of millennials coming because they picked up a flyer or they just saw it on Facebook and said, I, I want to go and hear Richie or I want to go and hear Roger or are you guys seeing a big uptake on that? So that's if you can kind of yeah. hit on that, Roger. Well, we, we use Disciples, uh, which is uh, interest tracking software. And every person that registers because we use pre-registration says how they got there. So I can get you some some specific numbers. But I did a meeting in Knoxville mm -hmm. and we had 
probably 25% of the audience um, was millennials, people, university students. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, we don't send flyers in the mail. So most of them came because somebody invited them. Okay. Somebody okay. said, come with me. And that's, um, I mean, 67% of people that get baptized in the church come because a friend invited them. Okay. So I think it's the best advertising uh, there is. Uh, you reach some other ones, but millennials are not going to show up many places, not just church, many places that they don't know people right. in. It, it's a very uh, communal group. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go with my friend, somebody that I know. They're not going to show up so, somewhere. But I see them and I baptize them all the time. People that, that come with, with with other people. and But the best way to engage the millennials in the church who are going to bring their friends is to have them serve. If you want them to show up and just listen to messages, they're going to be less inclined to do it. So we put them to work in registration with the kids. We put them to work as greeters. We give them mm-hmm. stuff to do. So they're there. And we have found millennials to be highly responsible when you give them an assignment that actually has responsibility with authority attached to it. We sometimes give people assignments that have um, responsibility but no authority to do yeah. or to make decisions. We, we delegate instead of giving authority, right? right. Is that, yeah. Richard, your thoughts on that, on that question? And again, I'm just posing it out there because – it's, it's something that is often asked, and again, particularly with those two generations. Sure. Well, you know, the last meeting we just did this summer, last summer, uh, towards the end of the summer, about August, um, we had uh, a family come in that was baptized, that they did come in through a, fam- uh, a, a flyer, and it and it and it they are millennial age um and so uh, you know it does but statistically are 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 you getting a large influx of millennials through handbills absolutely not you know i would say out of out of a large mailing maybe 10% of your group if you're lucky just from a handbill would be that millennial age group uh the rest of them usually are going to be you know uh Generation X, but even more so, uh, your your baby boomers and some of them that come in through those. There's just no doubt. So, but again, the best way to reach millennials. So I say that with saying I have reached them, but it's not a good method if you're specifically intentionally trying to reach millennials and Generation Z to rely on direct mail. Uh, that's through. You know, we do that through our church because the most we have reached has been through friends, inviting friends. It's been through our small groups. It's been through us getting involved in some of the, you know, uh, the different uh, local um, initiatives that we've had here, the the Celebrate Recovery meetings that we do, uh, the different things that we do in the community. That's how we built relationships with millennials. Right. And then when we have a meeting, we're like, hey, man, you should check this out. You'd like it. Okay. So again, the key, something we've heard many times, and I hear it from, from both of you, is that relationships. If, if yeah. the church is not building on relationships to reach the people that, they're not being, that are not being reached, then it, though it's nothing wrong with sending out any kind of handbell, it's the, it's the old adage that we know um, is that that's not sufficient, meaning a handbell is not going to reach the people. That, if, if you want to reach millennials, the handbell most likely is not the best way to reach them is through 
relationships, which is, you know, for most is like, of course, but again, sometimes it's great to speak of the obvious because sometimes the obvious is not so obvious to those that it should be obvious, as, as I, as some may say sometimes. Um, some, some quick notes here. Again, we want to uh, try to cover as much as we can about this particular topic and, um, something else that I, um, have in some shape or form had conversations about. Long, long sermons or teachings, however we want to labelize that, or short. So, uh, um, uh, Roger, how long do you go and why? And the same question to you, Richie. I, I try to go 35 minutes and with the call, five more. Um, there's a couple of days that I go a little bit longer, but I try to keep it at 35. And I do that because of attention spans. They're um, shorter and shorter. And I think that Twitter has helped me to compress my thoughts in 140 <laughs> characters. So there's, you can say a lot of things in, in 35 minutes. I would rather people leave saying, I wish it was longer than leave. I'm like, man, that never ended. <laughs> Richard, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I have my group at a meeting uh, no more than an hour, and and based on uh, polls that I have done at every meeting I've done, that's what people said they appreciated the most. They're busy, it's during the week, they're working. To come in and know that they're gone, come in at 7 and they know they're gone by 8 uh, has been a good thing. So my, pre, my, my sermons are 40 minutes max uh, from beginning to end, my presentations, and, and then that's it. Okay. And um, here, one of the last questions I have here is money. So um, a lot of times, uh, one of the big, um, and perhaps not for everybody, but for many, one of the big aspects of we don't do public evangelism is because of how expensive it is uh, to do public evangelism. And then the results are, quote unquote, the results are not there. I'm sure you guys have heard this multiple times in different, in different facets, um, in part because they they um, attribute a lot of money to go to two different places, right? And you guys know what that is. Uh, uh, one of them is in uh, handbills, uh, and second is in bringing in an evangelist. Um, so what would you guys say in regards um, to that, right? Because when you guys have gone to do meetings in different places, I know, Richard, you're about to do one there uh, where you're at, so they don't have to pay for an evangelist because it's you obviously. Uh, but when you go out, they have to cover your cost, um, you know, and different aspects. Same with you, Roger. Uh, if you're going to send out handbills, that, that is expensive. And um, it is one way of advertising. It still can bring people in. So, but again, people have that kind of, you know, they're saying, yes, it's good, but it's too expensive. My church can't afford it. And so what would you guys say about that? I, I think that um, uh, I think that when people don't like something, they'll talk about the cost. And when they do, they'll talk about being an investment. We always find money for the things we find important. Mm, mm. And I think that uh, it, it's, a, it's a common saying, but Jesus died for one. Um, and I think evangelism takes money. And I think that if you look at your budget in your church and – there's been a significant amount of churches that I've worked with that have no line item for evangelism, mm. zero. And everything they do is for them. They have 
Pathfinders for us and youth ministry for us and women's ministry for us and and take care of our building for us. So it's, it's mostly our, our stuff. So I think it takes money. And I think that uh, I I don't send I do I do mailers, but I don't send them out. I give them to uh, to church members to give it to their friends. But I, the, my biggest line item is uh, musicians. We invite music uh, artists that are that are well known, not just in the Adventist world, but are well known outside. And we advertise in in a Christian radio. Because thirty five percent of their audience is on church, so that's the way we get people to come to the meeting. It's expensive, sure, but it's an investment. Okay, and and that that's a that's another uh, topic in that essence. Um, what about you, Richie? And what I mean another topic is we're going to finish with that is the way that you actually build up for your actual event. And again, Roger, you mentioned music, and we'll get that. We're going to piggyback off that. But before we do. Uh, your thoughts on the original question, Richie? Yeah, it is expensive. Uh, you know, I did a meeting um, once for a neighboring district, and the the church thought it was too expensive, and they were sitting on a hundred thousand um, dollars in their evangelism budget. Um, you know, which you know, again, uh, the church is going to have to answer not just for the money that they spend; they're going to have to answer for the money they don't spend on evangelism and and so I just gotta throw that out there uh, we do pay for things that we care about as Roger said uh, it does it is an investment but I'll tell you this uh, the more I've invested in it the more we've seen uh, the fruit to show for it and then the more people feel is is an investment they know the money is not going to be misspent and we try to be as frugal with that as possible I also want to say make one other brief point Sure. And, and it's something we're trying to change at EC3, our evangelism conference. Um, is I remember the first evangelism council I ever went to, I heard one of our uh, uh, evangelists, who are, who's great, but I know doesn't do a meeting without a budget of 100000 hmm. And I remember him telling us you know, about meetings and do this and do that and do this. And I left there. Instead of being excited for evangelism, I was kind of just distraught because... Most pastors do not get the budget that these guys get. You know, they just don't. And so you're looking at maybe getting $10,000 if you're lucky. I would like to see more conferences give more money to the churches. I understand the problem. But I would like to see more pastors do their own evangelism. I think that's important. It's good to bring a guy in every once in a while. I think that's good. I change things up. I do most of my own evangelism. But I think that having practical ways of doing evangelism without a $100,000 budget is something we need to be teaching our people. Uh, because for a long time, it was kind of like we brought in these big names and said, hey, this is what I've, I've done. Well, great. You know, we probably could have that if we had that much money, you know. Right. And just piggyback off, off of that, when it's sake of, you know, money, again, doing something like Roger here. So, again... I want to point this out because people will listen to this and they'll say, well, uh, Roger, to invite a lot of the people that you have. And I know Roger's doing a a week uh, coming up in Wesley Chapel, Florida, and inviting some some phenomenal um, musicians. Um, Committed is going to be there. Johnny Diaz is going to be there. 
Um, and Sailor. Uh, Sailor's going to be there. Jackie. Jackie Velasquez and her husband is going to be there. And, and, and so people will say exactly what you're saying, Richie, is the fact that, well, that's fantastic and those are great draws, but we don't have that budget. And so, mm-hmm. again, that, that's, the, that's the question that I just want to put out there is um, when we don't have that budget, right, that it, it, what I'm hearing you guys say, that still should not be an excuse to not do public evangelism. And what I'm hearing you say, Richie, is that um, we should have, every church should have a line item for evangelism, whatever evangelism that may be. And thirdly, maybe we should put some money a, a bit more into public evangelism is what I'm hearing you say. Is that, is that fair? What would you say to that, Rocky, when somebody tells you that? Because nobody will tell you that. But but I'm just, again, part of this podcast is that we're just going to put everything on the table and let's answer them as best we can. Well, I did evangelism at a local church. Um, I, I've been uh, in a union for five years, and I was in the conference for four. So, And I've been a pastor for 26 years. So 16 of my 26 years, I was at a local church. And mm-hmm. I did five meetings a year, every year. And some churches, I had a budget of $600 for the year. Oh, that much, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <coughs> and, but, but we raised the funds mm. because lost people matter to God. Mm. So they should matter to us. We cut every other thing that we could. I don't think we get brownie points from heaven when Jesus comes back and we have money in the bank. Mm. We're not going to get a special reward because we save money. What are we saving money for, actually? So maybe you can't have Jackie Velasquez and Sayla all in one week, but maybe you can have one of them. You can get a good artist for $1,000. Maybe you can have one of them. Maybe you can build up to it. Maybe you can have a special fund. Mm-hmm. I have found every church to be open, and especially some people that have a heart for evangelism that will donate to a fund, and maybe you can build up to whatever it is. So at whatever level you do it, it's important that you prioritize. We always find money for the things that we need. Mm. We, we always find money for them. Mm. And and when it, it's amazing how it works because the people that you invest in and they come into the church, they're going to start donating to the church. And the ones that donate the most to the evangelism are usually the, the new people that were one and they want their friends to experience the same thing. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well, hey guys, I really appreciate the conversation, and um, I hope that it'll 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 stir um, a little bit of desire for public evangelism. Um, however, people want to do it for those that will be listening. Um, and um, if people have any questions, they can certainly send that in to me, and um, I'll let um, you guys know about them. Or perhaps they can reach you guys. So if you guys can uh, let them know how you guys can be reached. That would be great. Let's start with you, Richie. What are some of the ways that people, if anybody wants to ask you any question, I know you're on social media and what have you, so where can they reach you at? Sure. Uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter, my uh, at Richie59, uh, R-I-C-H-I-E-5-9. Also email rhalverson at me.com, uh, and that's R-H-A-L-B-E-R-S-E-N. <laughs> uh, at me.com. I also have my blog, which is www.richhelverson.com, and I put a lot of the different things that I've learned uh, through my ministry on there as well, and that's a resource. So any of those ways, great to reach me by. Okay. 
And uh, the master Twitter, where can the, what's your handle? Most yeah. people know, but um, that uh, Twitter handle is lead su lead su, um, or they can write me at the union at rhernandez at southernunion.com or the blog, which is uh, lead su um, dot org. Okay. And we'll have all that on our uh, show notes. Uh, guys, thank you again for the great conversation. And uh, may God bless you in your continued efforts um, in your public evangelistic meetings. And uh, again, thank you for being on the episode. Well, I hope that you were challenged as well as blessed by the conversation with Roger and Richie. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on this topic or on any other episode that we've had. And Please do so by emailing me at Javier, that's J-A-V-I-E-R dot Diaz, D-I-A-Z at FloridaConference.com. Or you can hit me up on my Twitter handle if you're on Twitter um, at um, JaviD21, that's J-A-V-I-D 21. Again, thank you for listening. Please continue to share. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you will know when the next episode is released, which we do every month. And I can't wait to share with you next month's episode. But until then, may God bless. Thank you for listening to this Restore podcast. We hope you've been blessed. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our inspiring episodes.